Welcome to Day of Destiny with Dr. Michelle Corral, author, prophetic teacher, and pastor of Breath of the Spirit Prophetic Word Center. Dr. Corral can be seen weekly, nationwide, and around the world on her weekly telecasts that air on God TV, Impact, and Word Network. Now, let's join Dr. Corral by experiencing Day of Destiny, designed with your highest destiny in mind. Now, here is Dr. Corral. Hi, I'm Dr. Michelle Corral, and I am so excited about the biblical new year. Did you know that the calendar that God commanded Moses to make was the calendar that was divinely designed by God to demonstrate dates of destiny? Did you know that two weeks before the children of Israel left Egypt, that God commanded Moses to make this calendar and that every date in the Bible, Old and New Testament, are corresponding with those biblical dates. And so therefore, we have just celebrated an incredible brand new year that began on the feast of what we call Rosh Hashanah. This actually is 5783. And the reason why we are so excited about this is because there are spiritually significant signs in God's calendar that teach us about God's salvation. And I want to share with you, beloved saints, that this year, which on the biblical calendar is 5783, after contemplating, reading God's word, asking God, what is the spiritual significance of 5783? How does it apply to our lives in 2022 going on 2023? Is there any relevance to it? And one of the ways we can discern that relevance and the personal, powerful, prophetic application of that year is when we see the counterpart of that, of that year in the scripture and the Holy Spirit reveals to us that portion of scripture that is relevant to us right now. And one of the powerful promises that I believe God is saying to us in this biblical new year of 5783, is that this is going to be the year of scepter of influence given to God's people that he can trust and those that he has prepared a platform for that have been faithful unto death in their service to God. How do we know this? One of the powerful spiritual similitudes of the third day we see in the book of Esther this year, 5783. When I asked God, what does this mean for the body of Christ? First, the Holy Spirit revealed to me that the five is actually something that we need to see that God is saying, just as David took five pebbles in his pocket and put it in a shepherd's bag, as we see in 1 Samuel 17, verse 40, that he slew Goliath with one of those stones. God wants you to know this is the year you are going to slay your Goliath. This is the year to bring your giant down. Secondly, we see five and we see seven. In the book of Esther, in the first chapter and the 10th verse, Vashti gave a feast for the women. And in the seventh day of the feast, the king called her, but she refused to come to the call of the king. God spoke to me 
the seven in 5783 is a word from the Lord that means replacement. God says, just as Vashti did not respond to the call of the king, God is saying to those who are Vashti-like, who have not responded to the call of the king, those who are using ministry and purposes of ministry for vanity, for vainglory, or for selfish purposes, God is saying the Vashtis are going to be replaced. And God says it's going to be an hour that he is going to replace the Vashtis with the Esthers and the Mordecais. Five, the stones of David to slay your Goliath. Seven, a year of replacement. The Vashtis are coming down. And God is saying the seventh day of the feast, she refused to come to the call of the king. God wants us to respond to his heavenly call and say, here am I, Lord. I will do whatever you ask. Uh, the next is eight. Eight in the scripture is spiritually significant of not of this world. You see, God told Abraham on the eighth day, all of your males are going to be circumcised. This will be a covenant between you and me and your descendants forever. Eight is a supernatural symbol of that which is not of this world. For example, the high priest of Israel wore eight garments on his vesture, four linen garments and four golden garments. God is saying, not of this world. Did you know that in Leviticus chapter 9, verse 1, the tabernacle was dedicated on the eighth day? Now, I want you to know, Exodus tells us it was dedicated on the first day of the first month, but the Leviticus version of the dedication of the tabernacle actually monitors the dates and calculates the cal calendric dates from the beginning of the time that Aaron's sons were being sanctified to minister in the priest's office, and it would be eight days from the day they began their preparation. Why is that even spiritually significant? And does that really matter right now in the year of 2022? And the answer to that is nothing in the Bible is irrelevant. Everything in the Bible is personal, powerful, prophetic, and relevant. So eight is the symbol, not of this world. That means on the eighth day, when the Bible tells us in Leviticus chapter nine, that the tabernacle was dedicated a day of firsts, the first time Aaron ever gave the priestly blessing, the first time the fire fell from heaven, the first time the glory of the Lord was revealed, not of this world. God is saying, those of you that have been faithful, those of you that have been prepared, those of you that have been going through a seven day or what you might say a season of the preparation for the calling of God on your life. God is saying you have now come to a place that he is going to use you so greatly. And God wants you to know that that being used of God is not of this world. That means the heavenlies are going to invade your life. That that which comes from God, the anointing, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God, the glory of God is going to be revealed in our midst as never before. And here's the punchline. God was saying three. You and I may say, what does the three represent in the year 5783? And does it really apply to my life? The Bible tells us that after three days of fasting, after Esther submitted her will to God's will, 
after she listened to the correction of Mordecai and put aside everything she wanted for the sake of the people of God. The Bible says, on the third day, Esther put on royalty. It doesn't say she put on royal apparel. Apparel is in italics. It's not in the Hebrew. On the third day, Esther put on royalty. And the Bible says in verse 2, And when the king saw Esther the queen standing in the inner court, he extended the scepter, and Esther drew near and touched the top of the golden scepter. God is saying to you, those of you that have laid aside your wants, you have laid aside your what you need, and you have sacrificed it for the kingdom of God and given Jesus Christ your all in all, the Lord says this is the year of the scepter of influence. Just as Esther touched the top of that scepter and used the platform of being queen of Persia for the, for the saving of her people, even so, God is saying those that are not Vashti-like, that are not vain, that are not in it to be seen of men, that are kingdom-oriented, those that are going to respond to the call of the king, God is saying the scepter of influence is going to go into your hands. God is saying get ready for your platform. God is saying it's right here, right now. So we're excited about 5783. Let's go live now into the service in Anaheim. And I'll be back with you to pray for you and to release the anointing of 5783, the biblical new year upon you when we return. In verse 39, also in the 15th day of this seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep a feast unto the Lord seven days. The first day shall be a Shabbat, and the eighth day shall be a Shabbat. Verse 40, and you shall take the first of the boughs of goodly trees, branches of the palms, palm trees, boughs of the thick trees, willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. Hallelujah. And you shall keep it a feast of the Lord. Verse 42, and you shall dwell in booze seven days for all that are Israelites shall dwell in booze that your generations may know that I, the Lord your God, made the children of Israel dwell in booze when I brought them forth from the land of Egypt for I am the Lord. Beloved saints, first of all, as we begin this feast of tabernacles, we actually see three feasts, didn't we? We saw the first feast called the Feast of Tabernacles, the second one happening at the very same time called In Gathering, and the third one that is referred to as Booze. These three feasts simultaneously are happening right now. And I want to give you just a little bit of background on the Feast of Tabernacles, and today we are going to focus on the ingathering, because today the Lord is speaking to you that this is a time that you are going to reap what you have sown. Many of you that have sown in tears are about to reap in joy. And the supernatural secret of the Feast of Tabernacles is that this is a feast of supernatural reaping. The work of your hands, the labor of your hands, God wants you to know that everything that you've been laboring for, travail for and working for is about to be rewarded and someone ought to give God the praise. 
We're going to actually see the Exodus version of this feast. And let us look just for a moment at Exodus chapter 23. And our focus, beloved saints, is going to be Exodus 23. And we are going to see, dear people of God, the verses 15, or actually 14 would be better to start, um, verses 14 through 16. Let us read it. Three times a year you shall make a feast unto me in the year. You will keep the feast of unleavened bread seven days. Last line of verse 15 says, And none shall appear before me empty. Say that with me. And then we see, continuing in the context, verse 16, and the feast of harvest, the first fruits of your labors, which you have sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering, which is in the end of the year, when you have gathered in your labors out of the field. Notice that the Bible is saying that you, when you have sown your labors in the field, and at the end of the year, which is in gathering, when you have gathered in your labors out of the field. So the question arises, what does it mean to gather in your labors out of the field? How many of you want to ask God, what does that mean when you tell me in the year 2022, what does it mean to gather in my labors out of the field? The first thing that we need to understand their people of God is that the last line of verse 16 of Exodus 23, when you have gathered in your labors out of your field. We must understand that the text teaches that there is a reward that is coming for your labors, that your labors right now in this season are being validated by God. That means everything that you have done for the kingdom everything that you have done for the work of God, but everything also that has happened in your life that is part of the plan of God that you kept serving God even when you were in a place of test, trial, and travail is going to be a season right now where you are going to reap. Hallelujah. Somebody ought to say, this is my season of reaping. Notice, in gathering in, in the feast of ingathering, the fruit is called labor. Say this with me. In the feast of ingathering, the fruit is called labor. That means the labors that we have done for the kingdom, the labors that we didn't even see were um, actually affecting the work of God in such a powerful way. So we see that the feast of in gathering is a feast. It's called the Hag Hasid. And it is a feast of the miraculous manifestation that is going to come in your life after your years of tears. How many of you have had years of tears? How many of you have gone through test, trial, and tribulation? Well, I want you to know that the feast of ingathering is a time when you are going to see your fruit, the works of your hand. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. Psalm 126 speaks of this. Go with me to Psalm 126. The Bible says in Psalm 126, verses 5 and 6, they that sow in tears are going to reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again, rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Say this with me. I'm going to come rejoicing 
bringing my sheaves, bringing my harvest with me. They that sow in tears are going to reap in joy. The one that goes forth bearing precious seed. Say this with me. The Bible says that my tears are my seed for a harvest that God sees that wasn't planted with hands. It was planted with tears. Say this with me. My harvest wasn't planted just with hands. It was also planted with tears. Did you hear me? I said this is a season of supernatural reaping in the times that you've been weeping. And somebody ought to give God the praise. Hallelujah. Now, beloved saints, I want you to see these, this feast, um, this powerful feast that is upon us, this feast of ingathering. And let us go back just for a moment, dear ones, to the four species. And going back to Leviticus chapter 23, uh, stay there in Exodus because we will look at this in a moment. But I want you to go back to Leviticus chapter 23, and you may say, well, what in the world does the trees and the boughs of trees have to do with me in my life in this year. But I want you to say this with me. Everything in the word of God is personal, powerful, prophetic, and relevant. Say this with me. There is nothing in God's word that is not personal in my life and effective for me right now. All right, I want us to see this. The Bible is telling us that the identity of the feast of ingathering is going to be an identity through the trees. Say this with me, the trees. Okay, the tree itself is always prophetically paralleled with the cross. So we're going to see works from the cross. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody ought to say from the works from the cross. Because we know throughout the scripture, we see that the tree and the cross are the same. Because in Hebrew, when you say the word tree, it is the word eights. And it means wood. Hallelujah. So this is why throughout the Bible, especially in Acts chapter 5, verse 30, the Bible talks, says that the cross is that tree. And we see in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, the Bible says, for Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that what? Hangeth on a tree. So we see that the tree is spiritually synonymous with a cross. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. amen. Why is the tree spiritually synonymous with a cross? How do we know that? Is it just because the New Testament writers and also in the Hebrew scriptures, we see prophetic parallels of the tree? For example, whenever we see the tree accentuated in the Hebrew scriptures, it's always on the third day. Maybe I didn't say that right. Let me say it again. I said, whenever we see the effectuality of the third of, the, of a tree in the Hebrew scriptures, it's always on the third day. Say this with me, the cross and the resurrection. Say the third day. Say it's not an accident. It's not coincidence, but it's divine providence, the way the word of God is written to reveal the return of our loss through the power of the cross. And somebody ought to give God the praise. 
Let us see the first time we see the third day in the tree together. And the first time we see the tree and the third day together is on the third day of creation. Let's go, because if you have been studying with us concerning the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Ingathering throughout these past two days, you will realize that the Feast of Tabernacles, the time of the Feast of Tabernacles ordained by God, the deliverances, the blessings, the breakthroughs that are going to be given to everyone during this feast was not decided by God in the secular segment of time. The rudiments of the Feast of Tabernacles, Shavuot, which is the Feast of Pentecost, and Passover, the rudiments of those feasts are rooted in the rudiments of eternity. Say it with me, rooted in the rudiments of eternity. That means all the miracles that we see and every deliverance that we see come to pass during the three Shalosh Ragalim, which are the three feasts that are always seen together. They are the feasts in which God commands that the children of Israel appear before the Lord. I'm not here to give you Hebrew history. I'm here to prophesy to you. And so I cannot do that without the word. So you have to bear with me for sharing the word with you for a moment so that you can get the revelation of God's word of what he wants to give to you tonight concerning his perfect plan. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. amen. So we see it's very important because this was the prophetic agenda of Moses in the creation story. In the creation story, we do not get how molecules are made. In the creation story, we do not get the kinetic energy of an atom or the kinetic energy that's in the universe, nor do we get the laws of physics. We do not get the biological makeup of mammals, nor do we get um, anything about DNA in the creation story. Why? It is because on purpose, Moses had a prophetic agenda to show us the first three days of creation were set aside for another agenda. We need to understand that Moses' objective in the creation story up to the time time was created. Because time was created on the fourth day. The Bible says in the fourth day, let's just look at the fourth day of creation. So we've established the fact that the time is created on the fourth day. The Bible says, and God said, let there be lights in the firmament in the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons for days and for years. The last time I looked, days and years were segments of time, weren't they? Hallelujah. So the sun was created to calculate years, and the moon was created to calculate days. And so God created the moon and the sun to calculate the calendar. That is when time began on earth. So anything prior to the fourth day of creation is in the olam. It's in the time of eternity. I hope somebody's hearing me. It's a time before time. Can I get a witness? somewhere. That means that when God created the world and Moses knew everything about the world being created, that doesn't mean that God didn't show him all the details of creation. He did. But Moses had an agenda to show us something about the mercy of God, which is more important than anything else in the creation story. And we need to see why God created this world. And he also wants to show us that God had a plan 
plan before the foundation of the world to bring deliverance to this earth. All right, so we saw the fourth day of creation accentuated through the sun, the moon, and the stars, and we see this is the creation of time, such as we know it on earth. Then we're going to go into the alam. The alam is eternity. That means the time before time. And we are going to see that the objective of Moses is to use specific language that we see not only here in the book of Genesis, but we see that repetitive language in other places of scripture. And he is doing this in order to connect the components of scripture together. Let me give you an example. For example, his objective in the waters dividing from the waters is to display the miracle at the Red Sea. All right, let me give you just an example so that we can see where Moses is going in the creation story. The Bible says, and God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament and the waters which were from above. Now watch this. And, and verse nine, and God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let dry land appear. Can you say this with me? Let dry land appear. Very important phrase in the Bible. Why? Because in Exodus chapter 14, when the children of Israel were standing at the brink of the Red Sea during Passover, they're standing to escape Egypt. The Bible says that the Lord caused a strong east wind and the waters were divided. And the Bible says, and dry land appeared. So we must understand when we are scrutinizing scripture, that when we see one verse of scripture in one place and we see another the same verse of scripture the same phrase used in another place it means that the author intended those scriptures to match together because one interprets the other so what the bible is showing us is that before the foundation of the world God already ordained that the Red Sea split Moses didn't split the Red Sea the waters were already divided by the word of God that was spoken into it before the foundation of the world. Why is this even necessary? This is necessary to demonstrate that Passover didn't happen by accident. Passover didn't just happen, that God ordained it in the Olam before the world was ever created. God already ordained deliverance for his people before the dilemma. And you ought to know that God has ordained deliverance for you before your dilemma, and you ought to give God the praise. Hallelujah. Somebody ought to shout the victory. And we see the second two miracles, the second two feasts. We not only see the feast of Passover, but let's go to verse 11. In verse 11, the Bible says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth the grass, the herb yielding seed. Part A of verse, part A of verse 11. Let the earth bring forth the grass, the herb yielding seed. This is not about your lawn, okay? Oftentimes when I read that, I thought, why would God create my lawn first? Yeah, this is not about your lawn. Let the earth bring forth the grass 
The herb yielding seed. Herb yielding seed translated from English to Hebrew is sprouted grain. So if we're on the right track and see that in the above verses, God revealed Passover, then in a systematic sense of scripture, the next verse should reveal Pentecost or the feast of wheat. If you're with me, say amen. So that means we need to see, is wheat a member of the grass family? And the answer to that is, in the context of botany, grass is classified, wheat, excuse me, is classified as grass. Hello, somebody. I said wheat is classified as grass. So now we have Passover in verses 6 through 9, and we have Shavuot, which is the feast of first fruits, <clears throat> the feast of first fruits in the um, 11th verse, the second feast in the time of the Olam. Now, guess what we have also on the third day? This is the third day of creation. Say it with me, the third day of creation. We not only have the wheat coming up the first, first on the third day of creation, but Moses is isolating the third day of creation to certain elements that he's going to tell us about. He's not going to tell us about everything. He's only going to tell us about three things. Number one, dry land appearing. Number two, the earth brought forth the grass, which is actually the herb yielding seed, which is wheat. That was the first thing to appear in the earth because the translation of herb yielding seed is sprouted grain. And we look at the sprouted grains, there are five of them. And out of the five species of the sprouted grain, wheat belongs to the grass family. Hello, somebody. So God's word is now revealing that on the third day of creation, Wheat comes up, and the month of Pentecost on the biblical calendar is in the third month. I said, the day of Pentecost on the biblical calendar is in the third month, and this is the third day of creation. Are you hearing me? If you are, say amen. amen. Say it again. Say, the biblical feasts in the time of the Olam, in the time before time. All right, so we're looking at part B of verse 16, very important. Also on the third day, we are going to see in verse 11, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after its kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. Isn't that a marvelous? Are you seeing this incredible? prophetic parallel that happens on the third day of creation. Third day of creation, we see sprouted grain or wheat. We see Pentecost, which happens in the third month of the biblical calendar. And now we are seeing a third day miraculous manifestation because the tree appears on the third day, hallelujah, which is a prophetic prefiguring of God's revelation of salvation on the third day. And somebody ought to give God the praise. Say this with me, God's revelation of salvation. The third day and the cross. So we see supernatural similitudes and works of the cross throughout the scripture. We see, number one, the cross is for us on the third day and then we take these fruits on the Feast of Tabernacle from the species of the trees showing us the multiple works of the cross of Jesus Christ. Yes. 
We see that when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, guess what? Egypt didn't come out of them. Say to your neighbor, neighbor, I might be delivered physically out of Egypt, but Egypt's got to come out of me. Hello, I said, Egypt's got to come out of me. And the Bible tells us, beloved saints, that in Exodus chapter 15, verse 22, that on the third day, it was three days journey. Say it with me, not an accident. Three days journey. The Bible says in verse 22, so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Hallelujah. And they went out into the wilderness of Shear. And they went three days journey into the wilderness. Say this with me. I see the third day again. And guess what happened? When the children of Israel came to a place called Marah, they could not drink the water because the water was bitter. But the Lord showed Moses a tree, and he cast the tree into the water, and the bitter waters became sweet. Say this with me. Jesus is doing a miracle for me. He's bringing transformation to my devastation. He is bringing sweetness, hallelujah, into the pain of my past. He's bringing a turnaround. This is what the power of the tree does. It turns your darkness into light. It turns your pain into purpose. It turns, hallelujah, your bitterness into something sweet. That means that God can bring a transformation in all of your tribulations. Hallelujah. He showed him a tree, and the tree changed the water. Somebody should say, the cross made the difference in my life. Somebody say, the cross made a difference to my sorrow. The cross made a difference to my tribulation. The cross made a difference to my life. The cross made a difference to my devastation. The cross raised me up. Hallelujah. The cross gave me new life. The cross made that which was bitter sweet. Are you hearing me, saints? This is why the emphasis during the Feast of Tabernacles is on the tree. Hallelujah. So we're going back to Leviticus now, now that we have demonstrated to you the third day and the tree. And we are seeing that the day that the tree was created was the third day. This is spiritually significant because Moses' agenda in, the, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 6 through 11, is that in verses 6 through 9, waters divided from the waters, the earth Separate, the waters gathered into one place that he calls sea and dry land appearing. These are phrases from Exodus chapter 14 when the children of Israel crossed through the Red Sea. Explicit expressions. Say it with me, explicit expressions. Meaning that Moses intended to show us that on that second day of creation, God had the miracle of the Red Sea in mind. Hello, somebody. Somebody ought to say he already prepared the deliverance. Then we see on the third day of creation, we saw that the earth brought forth the grass, 
we learn that it's not the lawn. We learn that the grass is actually the sprouted grain, which is wheat, which belongs to the grass family. Did we see that? Here we see the revelation and miraculous manifestation of Pentecost, because Pentecost is the feast of first fruits of the wheat harvest. So you see that Moses had this prophetic agenda in mind. Then we see also on the third day, we see the tree. And the tree is prophetically paralleled that it came forth on the third day. It is prophetically paralleled with Leviticus. So let us go to Leviticus and look at these four species very quickly. Leviticus chapter 23, we see in verse 40, and you shall take on the first day boughs of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, boughs of thick trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before your, the Lord your God seven days. Somebody ought to say these species, hallelujah, are anointed species. So let me just for a moment give you the prophetic prefiguring and the prophetic parallel of what these species are. The Bible says on the first day of the feast, you're going to take boughs of goodly trees. The goodly tree is known in English as the citron, but in Hebrew, it is known as the hadar. Can you say it with me? The hadar. Goodly. Say it with me. Goodly. And the meaning of the word hadar always deals with kingliness. It always deals with the majesty of God. It deals with uh, God bringing kingliness to his people. And where do we see this word goodly used? We see it specifically with Joseph. We see in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, the last line says that Joseph was well favored and a goodly person. I want you to understand that this word goodly is the very same word that's used in the boughs of goodly trees. What does that mean for me? That means that during the Feast of Tabernacles, when you wave the goodly bough before the Lord, God is making you a promise that though Joseph went down to Egypt, the Bible says that the Lord was with Joseph. It doesn't matter what kind of adversity you go through in this life. You serving God does not mean that you are immune to adversity, but God wants you to know that he is faithful and that, beloved saints, he will bring you through. The Bible says the Lord was with Joseph and he was a prosperous man. So you can be prosperous in the time of your pain. Somebody ought to say I can still prosper even though I'm going through sorrow, even though I'm going through an adversity time, even though I'm going through days of darkness, I can still prosper. And somebody ought to give God the praise. And that second tree that we see is the lulav. The lulav is the palm tree. And the Bible tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 3, the Bible calls Jericho the city of the palms. When you take the lulav, just like we have in this room, and we wave it before the Lord, God is saying this is the year for your Jericho. This is the year for you to go up and take possession of the promised land. This is the year that the walls are going to fall down before you flat. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. Somebody ought to say, this is my Jericho year. 
Hallelujah. Say it with me. I'm going to go up and take possession of the promises of God. And the third tree, he said, and the boughs of thick trees. What are thick trees? Thick trees are actually myrtle trees. Myrtle trees? What in the world is a myrtle tree? We know the myrtle tree from the name Hadassah. That is what her name means, myrtle tree. Hadassah was an orphan that became the queen of Persia. But she was more than the queen of Persia. She was the queen in the royal line of Benjamin that made up for the dynasty of Saul's loss. All Saul's loss was returned of that dynasty through Esther. Now, beloved saints, I want you to understand what this means. This means that God, when you wave the hadas before God, you are saying to God, God, you are giving your people the diadem of destiny. You are able to open the doors of destiny for my family this year. You are able, Lord God, you are the God of destiny. And you are the God who is able to turn my sorrow into joy. You are the God who is able, hallelujah, to bring favor. This also speaks of, I want you to understand, each one of these um, species of trees represent different segments of time in Israel's history where God brought major deliverance and major Yeshua. I hope you're hearing me. The Hadar, which is the citron, which represents Joseph, represents the going down into Egypt in the time of famine and the coming out that God promised his faithfulness to the forefathers that his word would be fulfilled and somebody ought to give God the praise. Then we see, well, what about the lulav? This also, the palm tree, represents another era in Israel's history. That era was no more wilderness, no more wandering in the wilderness. But this time, you're going to transition into position and possess the promises of God. And somebody ought to say, I'm going up to my Jericho. I'm getting ready to transition into the place of promise. And somebody ought to praise God. We see the Hadass representing Hadassah. I want you to understand the Hadass being waved before God also represents a death decree that almost annihilated the Jewish nation. But the Hadass represents God's faithfulness to break every decree off of your life. And somebody ought to give God the praise. Hallelujah. And then we see, beloved saints, hallelujah, we see this fourth species, and this fourth species is the Arav. Say it with me, the Arav. The Arav is the willow. Notice, you shall take branches of the willow. You're going to wave the willow before God. This also represents a segment in Israel's history called captivity, the Babylonian captivity. Are you with me? The Bible tells us in Psalm 137, verse 2, when we were by the rivers of Babylon, we sang songs, and we sang on our harps, and we hung our harps upon the willows. God is saying just as he was faithful to bring Israel back to the land so will God be faithful to bring you back to the land somebody ought to give God the praise and give God the glory 
I'm so glad you joined us today and we want the anointing to come upon you. We are going to pray for you right now to receive all that God has for you in this powerful year of 5783 on God's biblical calendar. You know, beloved saints, it is such an honor to pray with you. And I feel today there are so many of us that are about to walk in to that platform that God has prepared for us. This is a year, beloved saints, also, that God is going to give you a crown of life. We had a prayer meeting last week, and the word of the Lord came forth saying to be faithful unto death and that he would give us a crown of life. Being faithful unto death doesn't just mean only going before a firing squad or laying your life down in some type of action that would you would give your life for Christ. It also means besides that action of martyrdom. It is also a surrender of one's will. It's a surrender of one's life. To be faithful unto death means to be faithful in death-like experiences as well. When you don't feel like serving God, when you're going through trials and tribulations, when you're being tested with all that you have to do, you can barely stand, but you're standing there for. The Lord is saying, be faithful unto death and I will give you a crown of life. That crown, beloved, is not only eternal life, but also that crown of destiny, that crown of purpose, that crown of your highest anointing. And I believe right now there are so many of you watching this telecast that God is releasing the crown of your destiny right now. Someone is being affirmed right now in their prophetic ministry and office. Another person uh, that's watching this is going to be reaching out to orphanages in Africa and God is going to send you there and it's a confirmation. There are others of you that God is telling you to go forth and do that which is on your heart to serve God in the ministry and he's going to be with you. He's going to back you. There are some of you that say, God, do I really have purpose? You are so disappointed and you say, God, how can this be used for your glory? God wants you to know that he is a God who turns mistakes into miracles. And right now, in the name of Jesus, God is raising you up for purpose and for anointing. And anyone today who has not made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, this is your opportunity. Beloved saints, this is our opportunity to give our lives to Christ. Those of you that have never given your life to Jesus, you can say this prayer you know it's the prayer of salvation. Did you know that you could pass from death unto life? Did you know that by meeting Jesus as your personal Savior for the first time that your whole life could change? Did you know that he will be your best friend? Did you know, dear one, that he will never leave you or forsake you? He will watch over you and he has given his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways, lest at any time you dash your foot against a stone. I want to pray with you to meet the Savior. I want to pray with you to be washed in his precious blood. It is possible to have sin taken away from us and to live a victorious life in the righteousness of God in Christ. Say this prayer with me. Wonderful Jesus, come into my heart. Be the Lord of my life. 
I want to give my life to you, dear Jesus. I want to surrender everything I have to you. Wash me clean. Forgive me. I want to surrender over to you in this new biblical year. I want everything in my life brand new in Jesus' name. And I feel there are several of you that have been in a place of turning away from God. You've been a little pulled into the world. And this is because you're so discouraged. There are others of you that you've gone through a sorrowful time of depression, and I rebuke that spirit of depression off of you. Someone who's been believing God for their business, I release that anointing of your business upon you, and I break the power of, of any burden that is not of God that has come upon you to discourage you, to turn you away from the Lord. You know, beloved saints, God is faithful and we are being tested, but be faithful unto death and he will give you a crown of destiny and of life. And today I want to pray for those of you that have been serving God, but you're weary, worn out and say, God, I'm ready to throw the towel in. Others of you are under a spirit of condemnation that is absolutely not of God. Just say right now, Jesus, I'm tired of a double-minded life. I'm tired, Lord God, of one foot in the world and one foot with you. I don't want to live under this condemnation anymore. Right now, you can receive the power of God through the power and baptism of the Holy Ghost. When you receive the baptism of the Spirit of God, you will serve God. He will give you the power to live godly. He will give you the power to sacrifice. He will give you the burden to go into all the world to preach the gospel. He will take away double-mindedness and he will give you a vision for the future. So I release the anointing of the Spirit of God upon you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen and amen. Thank you for joining us today on Day of Destiny. We invite you to our website at mydayofdestiny.com where you can easily access other podcasts and obtain your copy of Dr. Corral's latest book, Secrets of the Anointing. Also, we want to take this moment to invite you to engage in extending your hand of kindness by planting your seed or offering for multitudes that include orphans, providing water wells, providing medical supplies, clinics, feeding programs, and many other services to the suffering church and through efforts of evangelism worldwide. Just go to our website and click the donate button or text to give. Text HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, to 7797. That's HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, to 7797. You are also invited to visit Dr. Michelle Corral Facebook or Instagram. We look forward to having you encounter the anointing with us on our next Day of Destiny podcast.